0: welcome to episode 48 of season two of the search with Canda podcast my name is jack chambers ward and i am joined once again by the one the only mark williams cook i felt
1: like i need to add that after you gave it the one the only yeah it's just me i'm good thank you good to be here again like two shows in a
0: row. I know, yeah, and the live stream. <laughs> Three shows in a row, if you want to be picky. And we have got an assortment of SEO and PPC news to be discussing this week, including Google clarifies a few things about crawl budget optimization, how to conduct a site accessibility audit, continuous scroll is now available on desktop in the US, but it, it's getting there, and the latest helpful content update has begun rolling out. Search is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com swc if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their SERP snippet generator, hreflang validator, checking out your site's visibility index, and the all-important Google Update Tracker. Since we're talking about helpful content updates, it's key to keep an idea on those Google updates. And we'll actually be digging into some data from the new Knowledge Graph tool, which we touched on recently on the show, later on in this episode. Should we kick off with some Google news, Mark? Let's kick off. I love talking about crawl budget optimization. I know, isn't it? Isn't it the the sexiest of SEO (laughs) topics? It's the (laughs) Christmas table discussion 101. (laughs) So, earlier in December, on Friday, the 2nd of December, Lizzie from the Google search team updated the crawl budget management help document with two more myths. And essentially, you have that little like true or false myth selector thing. You can basically do a mini quiz at the bottom of the document, and they have clarified a couple of different things. So point number one, Google added that using no index isn't a good way to control crawl budget, but it can be a method to indirectly free up crawl budget in the long run. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, right?
1: It does, yeah. Yeah,
0: cool. And number two, pages that serve a 400 status, or 4XX, anything, except 429 do not waste crawl budget. I think that's the one a lot of people have kind of clung on to a bit. And and because there's been a lot of debate about four tens and four oh fours wasting crawl budget and things. If you have a bunch of them on your site, is that affecting your crawl budget? And apparently not, which is nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Four two nine.
1: Four two nine. Four two nine. I know what 429 is. Top too 10? many requests. Oh. So, okay. the reason that would affect crawl budget, I assume, is because Google will slow down crawling. Right. Yeah. If, yeah. It, if it thinks it's hammering your server too much, which is another reason why, conversation we had last week, that they don't use the crawl delay yes. in robots.txt. So, they're pretty clever with their kind of dynamic speed of crawling. Uh, if they think they're crawling too much and it's, it's uh, debilitating your website, <laughs> they'll, they'll pull back a bit. But yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. Again, like no index, crawl budget, 404s, a lot of these things get kind of merged together. But I think you've got some detail, right, on uh, Lizzie explaining why those things are true.
0: Yeah, exactly. So expanding on point number one, any URL that is crawled affects crawl budget. Fairly straightforward, right? And Google has to crawl the page in order to find the no index rule. So we're diving into a bit of no index. However, no index is there to help you keep things out of the index if you want... That seems self-explanatory, but <laughs> but it does. But it then, does need to we, we lie, But then, like no-follow
1: links are actually followed by the crawler. So there you go. It
0: doesn't always do what it says on the tin. Exactly, exactly. If you want to ensure that those pages don't end up in Google's index, continue using noindex, and don't worry about your crawl budget. It's also important to note that if you remove URLs from Google's index with noindex or otherwise, Googlebot can focus on other URLs on your site. Which means no index can sort of indirectly free up some of the crawl budget on your site in the long term. Which is the
1: exact reason why you cheeky monkey SEOs using no index follow won't work. (laughs) I've seen lots of people before; they don't want a page index, but they kind of want the links on there to count uh, because they've they've got links to pages they want to rank. But obviously, if we follow the logic back here, if Google is saying you are gonna Um, by a second tier like impact save crawl budget it's because those pages have been no indexed for so long google's stopping bothering crawling them yeah therefore the links on those pages aren't going to count so they're treated the same as if they had no follows on them so that's quite neatly wrapped up in the technical explanation of why you can't keep page rank flowing through no index pages
0: in the long term excellent and of course kind of Slightly expanding upon the second point about the 400 status codes. Pages that serve a 400 HTTP status code, except the 429 we've just talked about. Don't waste crawl budget. Google attempted to crawl the page, but received a status code and no other content. So again, touching on that, right, with people trying to do sneaky links and things like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the only thing I'd add to that is we've seen people saying a 410 can remove pages from the index faster than a 404. So 404 is not found, which could be an accident, 410, I believe it's called removed, basically showing you've intentionally killed that URL. But again, if it's 400, except the for 409, it's not affecting crawl budget. And in general, unless your site is big, and by big, I mean at least in the six figures of pages, generally crawl budget isn't going to be an issue. Um the biggest issue, you know, we see we we've talked about is the whole uh discovered, not indexed, um where Google or crawled, the, not indexed.
0: The the bane of my existence. Yeah, yes, which yeah. is
1: which is yeah, 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 we found the page, just don't like it enough to index it. <laughs> um <so laughs> yeah. we'll,
0: we'll get there eventually, don't worry. Yeah, but, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have an article on Sightbulb, written by the fantastic Sam Torres from the Grey Dot Company. You may also know Sam Torres from hosting the Opinionated SEO Opinions podcast, which I highly recommend. Really, really comprehensive article here. Like, I kind of picked it out because it caught my eye and I feel like accessibility is something we need to talk about a lot more in SEO in general. And... I was not prepared for just how comprehensive and interesting and how much I learned just from reading this article. And pretty much as soon as we came into the studio you said the same thing right Mark.
1: <laughs> yeah so when we talk about accessibility um, what springs to mind at least in 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 my mind is stuff like you know the very basics we've spoken about for years like you should include alt tags on your yeah, images yeah. and then there's the SEO focus stuff around anchor text Anchortext is a really interesting one because Anchortext comes up with internal linking and therefore comes up in SEO conversations a lot. And one of the things I like to profess when we're when we're teaching SEO and talking to clients about SEO is the parallel that most changes you make on site will have a positive impact for users anyway. And I think Anchortext is always a really great example of that because firstly, for um, you know, we, we know it helps search engines for any user it helps because it gives them a context to where they're going to go when they click the link but again when we use the example of like screen readers linking uh, reading out links it's much more helpful than click here click here read more yeah. but yes made that comment about um this you know really great article from Sam Torres because normally when we talk about accessibility there'll be maybe something about um kind of color contrasts alt tags things like that but this is covering literally uh visual impairments, auditory impairments, speech impairments, cognitive learning, neurological impairments it I haven't seen anything pull everything together yeah. like this before that hasn't been like an inter- either um is, that's had this breadth of information or hasn't been a really um kind of dusty internet standards document that's really hard to actually understand and engage <laughs> with because you're trying to decipher various. Um, like RFC codes they're using Mm. to describe a a standard. So yeah, I haven't come across anything quite like that, which is surprising. And as you say, maybe for the SEO industry and at least a big chunk of the web is a little bit damning for we're not spending enough time thinking and talking about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You mentioned screen readers earlier on as well and the kind of technology behind gaining accessibility for your site and trying to understand how users are using your site. Sam also dives into a lot of that as well, talk about things including like uh, refreshable braille displays, which is something as a person who is not visually impaired, wouldn't even occur to me. Head wand and mouth sticks, uh, motion tracking and eye tracking technology, alternate mouse and keyboard devices. So I know a lot of people, a lot of gamers have their like gaming specific keyboards and stuff, but the way people can transform, you know, how you actually interact with your computer for people with, Different impairments, whether that's cognitive or physical, is fascinating to me, and I think Sam does a really good job of kind of highlighting and really pulling out some interesting examples on ways you can help users with different interfaces and different ways of accessing your site gain that ability to understand your content and read your site in a in an important way. I remember it was about two or three years ago, and I was kind of getting into like working with clients and stuff like that, and there was a moment where I switched a screen reader on for the first time and just like closed my eyes and tried to understand a site. And it was a site I knew really well. It was a client I'd been working with for a while. I felt like I know their menu. I know the nav pretty easily, all this kind of stuff. And I was lost very quickly. <laughs> I was like, site menu one. <laughs> I was like, item one. And it just scrolled through a bunch of stuff. I'm like, I wasn't really paying attention to that. I should, oh my God, please, please read that again. And it, it was such a kind of shock for me to be like oh wow this is a completely different experience and it's not just a little kind of you know seeing like i said it was a site i was very familiar with i thought i could navigate this with my eyes closed turns out i couldn't i'm just like tabbing through each menu item that's something i recommend as a little test go onto a site you feel like you know well you know the main menu you know the navigation all that kind of stuff just hit the tab button a few times see what order the buttons highlight in and where it all goes because that's kind of what a screen reader is doing It's understanding where the links are where the buttons are and how everything kind of interacts with each other and as soon as you see those big drop down menus you've been like yeah don't it's big drop down it's got like 10 to 12 things in get ready for all 12 of those things to be read out loud to you in order and you've just got to remember that it was number six you were looking for it's like, oh yeah right i need to go to number six now like that was such a like jarring experience where you have your Ever done that before, Mark, and just kind of experience the site as a visually impaired user would? Yes. And I've
1: seen um, visually impaired people use websites and the, um, using that technology. And the thing that surprised me was the speed at which they can set the text to be read mm. back. Which was like frighteningly fast, <laughs> because I get, i guess like anything, it's another skill that you acquire in terms of like you said. Yeah, the first time you do it, you're trying to listen to what comes next while memorizing the bits that might interest you and um, and where they were. But obviously, when you become a, you know, ex- experienced at doing that, the speed at which the head you know content read out to them and then go back was incredible and it made me think like because sometimes I listen I think like you do sometimes too well you do it with audiobooks which I don't agree with I think that's (laughs) barbaric but I listen to podcasts on normally like one and a half speed and if it's like tutorial videos like times two speed yeah and I was like the amount of practice um they've had with that technology I mean that must even feel so I couldn't imagine the torturous listening to a tutorial on times one anymore. Because <laughs> even I get that watching, you know, something I was like, come on, speak faster, for yeah, me Yeah, definitely.
0: I, th- I think it's really interesting. And like I said, if you haven't done any of this, I highly recommend just going and trying a screen reader, trying to use a different interface or use a different device to interact with your site. If you know this is something you want to dive into. And like I said, I'm I think we need we all need to understand this. Me as a essentially you know able-bodied able-mind person i find it fascinating to see this side of things and understand how different users do it and hopefully make the experience easier for them like you said mark before the one of our golden rules of seo we always talk about is whatever you're doing for seo should never negatively impact the user experience and that applies for visually impaired users cognitively impaired users people using different interfaces and devices as well. So, yeah, if you haven't already, definitely go and check this out. Like I said, links for all of these in the show notes, of course, as always, at search.wiscanda.co.uk. It is an extensive and comprehensive article. So Mark and I haven't really done it justice, kind of giving a little summary here. Um, So, yeah, highly recommend you go and check that on SiteBulb's blog because it is a fantastic guide to understanding site accessibility and basically auditing it because SiteBulb also does a bunch of this stuff for you And is able to pull out once you kind of tick the right boxes and choose the right options for your crawl and understand what Sitebulb is pulling out, you can then understand where you are kind of falling behind or maybe where you're succeeding in terms of accessibility for your site. So, yeah, highly recommend you go and check that out in full in the show notes. So, we touched on the knowledge graph tool from Systrix on our live stream the other week. Should we dive into some data, Mark? We kind of, I felt like I kind of whipped through it a little bit, but now it's kind of out there on Citrix Labs. It's being tested by, I've seen a, a few chats about it in the Citrix the uh, Slack as well. A few of us uh, testers being able to play around with it and have a, have a think about it and stuff. Should we discuss some knowledge graph stuff? Because I feel like it's something I've not particularly None of my clients, as far as I know, I tend to work with like smaller brands and stuff like that. I've not really got much of an experience with big international brands that have these kind of knowledge graph kind of things. So I think it's interesting to have a look at, right?
1: Yeah, we've had had, um, some chances to play around, put some different websites into it. And I think it's important for everyone to start exploring knowledge graphs, even if they're not kind of... In your day-to-day at the moment with SEO so this is a conversation i've been having with a few people this week with you've probably seen lots of people playing with gpt chat <laughs> yes. um, and making it do some cool tricks and some people are saying this is potentially you know a google killer a google competitor oh god and um y- you know you can... like tiktok was like three <laughs> months ago you can see you can see why when you know when you start using it but the the main difference i think between a tool like GPT Chat and Google is GPT Chat is a language model. It's basically been trained to essentially do tricks with languages because <laughs> it doesn't actually know anything. And before the podcast, we were discussing some different examples where it would kind of, you'd ask it a question and it would give you what appears to be a factual answer. And then you question it about that fact, but then it gets the fact right. So it, it hasn't applied that knowledge. And what Google has and why what we're getting into now You know, what this knowledge graph is, it has an understanding of what things are and the connection between those things. So if you can get the other half and plug in a language model to that, you might have something a bit more interesting.
0: Weirdly enough, this is a perfect segue for next week's episode where I talk to Sarah Taha about entity SEO. And we really talk about knowledge graphs and understanding how Google kind of builds this network of, of topics and items and nouns and brands and all this kind of stuff for different companies. So stay tuned next week, listeners. Sarah and I will be diving into that in a lot more detail. But before we get to that, let's talk about some knowledge graph stuff. So I briefly touched on it on our live stream last week and essentially stick a domain in and you get some details about the knowledge graph around this domain, if it has one. Let's list them out and then we'll kind of have a think about what that means and how useful because I didn't quite understand some of it at first. And Mark and I were discussing this before we started recording, and then realized like, oh right, that makes sense. Actually, that's really useful. Because <laughs> again, I've not really optimized for knowledge graphs or particularly looked into it in much detail. So I was kind of my thinking went in one direction and turns out it's in a very different direction, but a very useful one nonetheless. So When you put a domain in, you can see a table from Systrix and it will lay out the name. So that's the name of the knowledge graph entry. And that is not necessarily, but sometimes is the main keyword, which is something to bear in mind, because again, I think intuitively you would assume the main keyword and the name of the knowledge graph would be the same thing. That is not necessarily always the case and something to bear in mind when you're using this. Also. If it doesn't have a clear name or Systrix is unable to pull that from Google, you will get the Google internal ID allocation for that thing as well. So also bear that in mind. The top keyword is the next piece of data, and that is the keyword of this domain that shows this Knowledge Graph panel with the most search volume. So the name and top keyword are often closely related. So they could be the same thing. Like I said, the main keyword could also be the name of the Knowledge Graph, but they are not necessarily the same thing.
1: So, just given a, a theoretical example of this, so I don't know if it's if it's an actual one, but if you had a um, a knowledge graph entry for, say, McDonald's restaurants, right, it might be that the top keyword is just McDonald's because that's yes. what people type in, but you know, it's related, but it doesn't necessarily have to match.
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, the top URL, so similar to the top keyword, this is the ranking U- the top ranking URL from that domain that you have input into.
1: Uh, and that's outside of the knowledge graph. Yes. So it's just appearing in the SERP, which is, I thought it originally might have been that's that's a domain referenced within a knowledge graph, because some knowledge graph citate sources. Yeah, But this is just literally on the SERP.
0: Correct. Yep. Uh, then it's the amount of keywords. So this is the number of keywords this URL shows the corresponding knowledge graph panel for. And clicking on this number takes you a, to a pre-filtered keyword table. So this is Again, kind of what I, th- what I had assumed was this is the total number of keywords for that domain or for this particular URL. This is for this ranking URL, the one Mark just mentioned, this top URL. That is the number of keywords that show the corresponding knowledge graph panel. So like you said, Mark, you might get the same knowledge panel for McDonald's and McDonald's restaurants and McDonald's Norwich or whatever it is. You might get the same thing because the brand of McDonald's is such a dominant thing in those related search terms, right? And last of all, the thing I think is the most interesting for us as SEOs, wanting to look at opportunities for our clients and for our sites is called opportunities, funnily enough. A list of keywords for which the knowledge graph is displayed, but for which the examined domain is not currently ranking for. And that's the key there. It's often worth expanding the content accordingly. Thanks, little tips there from Citrix at the end. <laughs> and yeah, that opportunities one is the key for me, I think, in terms of that was that kind of eureka moment when Mark and I were playing with it earlier. We were thinking about, okay, so how can we use this potentially for some of our clients and think about how useful it is for us. That opportunities is other keywords that you are not currently ranking for that you could then plan your, include in your content plans and explain that to your clients and, and justify that to you know, the people you're reporting to to understand this is a knowledge graph that this keyword could rank for this is we could create this content and this kind of area of the site to optimize for that kind of thing
1: when you look at how knowledge graphs actually appear in the SERP as well something i've always pointed out um, a good example is say with with actors it will show you very specific information about the actors so normally you know if you if you type in um you know brad pitt or something in the knowledge graph it will show you information that People have commonly requested about that entity. So it'll show you things like, you know, how old is he? Is he single? <laughs> and it will show you an image, because lots of people, when they search for Brad Pitt, go and look at images, for instance. So that's that's data that Google knows needs surfacing in the knowledge graph. So why I think that the opportunities in this context around the knowledge graph is interesting, is because it's another step away from just looking at relations in keyword data. So by that I mean traditional keyword tools work by you putting in, you know, Brad Pitt, and then it shows you mainly keywords where people have also typed Brad Pitt in, yeah. and then all the variations. By looking at the entity, you're not always restricted to that kind of keyword ball and chain that that links the intent. So a little bit like why we profess so much about um, also asked and the people also asked data because that's not constrained by keyword either because the questions sometimes don't contain the root keyword because it's just the intent has gone in a different direction yeah. um, so i think it's a really interesting um, place to start with the opportunities i think that probably over the next few weeks as this starts to bake into our brains we all have ideas about how we can use this other data and maybe get this into kind of our workflows because i haven't seen many tools do this in terms of looking this closely at knowledge graph data and um, there are lots of tools that um try and work out entities and entity relationships on websites that's like super common now because that is an area of focus around seo and content um, but having it at this scale as google displays it i think is interesting
0: yeah definitely as far as i know this is the first time one of the SEO tools is able to do this. When I spoke to Steve about it the other day, Steve from Systrix, um, he was saying this is essentially the only way to do it at this scale with these domains and with this keyword. Obviously, Systrix has one of the largest keywords and SERP databases in the world. So yeah, having this data and being able to do this for these knowledge graphs and being able to see it, like you said, research from a different perspective and see entities and brands and your clients from a different perspective I think can be really, really useful. And yeah, just playing around with it with a few examples of like household names and things like that, and then actually putting in some of my clients' names or related terms to my clients, suddenly kind of, like you said, solidified it in my brain and be like, oh yeah, that actually, that could be useful for this thing. And understanding different relationships between entities and how search intent changes from entity to entity and and topic to topic can be really really useful data and this is kind of a step in that direction that i think a lot of people looking to get into entity seo like i said i'll talk about that more next week with sarah but yeah i think this is a fantastic kind of step in that right direction so if you are on sistrix you can activate this you need to tick the little button on Systrix labs to say please activate the knowledge graph tool for me and then you'll have essentially full access so you can dive around and have a look and play around with different domains uh, you can also use it from a keyword discovery perspective as well if you click on the name of the knowledge panel it opens up from keyword discovery and that essentially lays it out exactly as Mark was saying. You can see the SERPs, you can see search volumes, all that kind of stuff for all of the keywords there as well, regardless of whether you rank for it or not essentially. So that is kind of a step back to look at the knowledge panel as a whole. Next up, we have Continuous Scroll. Yay! (laughs) Continuous Scroll on desktop this time. Isn't that exciting? So, I think you made the joke on Twitter when we discussed Continuous Scroll um, a few months ago now. (laughs) Almost a year ago. Yeah. Was it? I haven't been doing the podcast for a year, so it can't be that. Yeah. Six months, nine months, something (laughs) like that. It felt like a long time ago. (laughs) Essentially what this means is, Page one rankings for everybody. <laughs> Yay. Kanda is now guaranteeing page one rankings for all clients. <laughs>
1: Along with everyone else. Exactly.
0: Um, but yeah, I think this is very interesting. And we actually have a statement here from Google that kind of clarifies the rollout process and how you can see, hopefully you can see it on your end of things. Uh, it has started rolling out for English search results in the US and may take some time to roll out for all users to see. So do bear with Google while it's rolling out. If you're outside of the US, as chances that it's gonna take a little while longer. I know us over here in the UK are often left behind for this sort of stuff. So us and the rest of the world will eventually catch up with this sort of stuff. Here's the statement from Google discussing this announcement. Uh, and we got this directly from Search Engine Land. This was actually a statement to Search Engine Land. So thank you, Search Engine Land for the info here. So starting today, we're bringing continuous scrolling to desktop so you can continue to see more helpful search results with fewer clicks. It's now even easier to get inspired with more information at your fingertips. What a salesy sentence that was from Google. (laughs) Get more helpful search results. Yeah, great. Thanks, Google. Uh, Next, Google says, Now when you scroll, you'll continue to find relevant results so you can discover new ideas. When you reach the bottom of a search results page, up to six pages of results will automatically be shown until you see a more results button if you wish to continue further. So it's interesting to see that there is actually a cutoff point. It is not infinite scroll. It is a continuous scroll up to six pages. And if you really want to continue after that, you can click more results and see past there as well. So yeah, I think it's nice to get those details so we have a bit of clarity. We're not just saying it's every result for this keyword and you are gonna just keep scrolling forever. There are actually limitations to that, and, and how much you can see in, in one scroll. I can hear the flapping of ranking tools <laughs> in the distance. Yeah, this is gonna be uh, this, this is I, gonna be tricky. I have a question: What's gonna happen with the ads? Good question. I, they they must dynamically insert every certain <laughs> amount of every third result. Pretty, yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much.
1: Yeah. So I guess obviously you've got the top bottom ads and i guess not that many people click on page two ads or they are going to dynamically insert them on the on the kind of gif that we've
0: got can't see any more ads yeah Um, this is the gif again once again provided by search engine land i'll include that in the show notes for you so you can see that listeners and and kind of follow along with us but but yeah
1: maybe there's a trade-off in usability in terms of it will make more people use search, so they'll get more ad revenue on that first page anyway, where the bulk comes from.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And and we're seeing now kind of like we see a lot of different SERP features. Most of them kind of take up that real estate at the top of the page. Right. But you do see a lot of stuff also happen at the bottom of page one. You do see some SERP features pull in there. Um, people also ask something. We also talk about a lot. Thanks to also asked and related searches a kind of like where page one would end and then it just keeps scrolling, which I think is interesting with the power of dynamic insertion into like podcast ads and things like that. I know I'm thinking this from a very podcasty perspective, but the the pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll kind of mentality in, in podcasting where you have before you start the show, say for example, if we were doing it, it would be before you even heard the intro music or heard me say hello and welcome to the show, that would be, this episode is supported by Citrix and do my usual ad roll there. We kind of do an intro and a mid-roll. The one you just heard about in the Knowledge Graph tool is what we'd call a mid-roll ad in podcasting. So like you said, Mark, we, could you do it like every five results for this scroll, you get this particular ad. It just but feels then, too good to be
1: true. It feels yeah. like that there's a, you know... There's something bad coming.
0: <laughs> we talk about it so much about how much money Google makes from ads, right? They're not just going to suddenly... Yeah, oh, yeah, don't, just, yeah the ads. just have your
1: first 60 mm. results and
0: 300 ads <laughs> delivered
1: in your sleep. <laughs> straight, yeah. straight to your... I, um, don't, know, I don't think it's going to change notes. too much uh, for SEOs in terms of the first 10 results at least. I think you're going to still get the same clicks. Yeah. Maybe... Um, it will break the spike you get on position 11 yeah so you'll probably get a I guess a more linear drop-off in clicks
0: because there's there's some really interesting I've seen some really interesting click-through rate studies where they show bottom of page two is also a very like good area for click-through rate and where desperation sets in (laughs) maybe yeah literally like the method of navigating those pages doesn't necessarily scroll you back up to the top of page two when you hit the bottom of page one so actually you see results 20 19 and 18 before you see results 11 12 and 13 so there were some cases where result if you were 18th or 19th for a particular keyword you would get a higher click-through rate than if you were 11th, 12th, or even 7th, 8th, or 9th, which I thought was really interesting. So I am fascinated to see people do some studies from this and and see how this affects. From a user perspective, how many people will even notice is my question, I guess. Like, in terms of, you know, we're all up in arms about it because we're in the SEO industry, but I, I don't know, my mum or dad is not going to be thr- scrolling through and be like, oh, it didn't take me to the second page. It's a miracle. Like, Who actually cares? It's going to make a probably won't even notice like smoother kind of user experience. And I think a lot of people, yeah, maybe not even negative or positive, just like, oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I bet if I go and talk to my non-SEO friends, say in like six months when this is all like, you know, bedded in and properly settled in and stuff, They won't have even noticed. Yeah, it's subtle.
1: (laughs) Okay, we have a helpful content system, to use the new lingo, Mm. update. So we have, uh, we spoke recently about the helpful content update, which was in August of this year. But we're not allowed to say update anymore. No, the helpful content system. There we go. (laughs) update uh, in August this year. And I almost missed this one, actually. Uh, there has been another helpful content system update as of the 5th, 6th of December, which as usual is going to take a couple of weeks to roll out. And to quote Google, it, they said, this will help Google systems detect more forms of low quality content created for search engines and primarily not for people and what possibly could they mean by that (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's all the people that have gone wild with gpt chat uh, and the version as it's been dubbed 3.5 of uh, gpt so i've seen Obviously, they, they reported, I think, over a million users in the first week for their new um, GPT 3.5. And I've seen tweets from all kinds of people who I, I don't think had explored GPT before this, now getting very interested because yeah. it got a lot of kind of press pixels, press inches. And there's especially like developers who obviously are just like, cool, I've whipped up this API to generate articles about Um, you know dog products for this dog e-com site lol look at it go it's doing a great job (laughs) not realizing that hey ho we over here in the seo corner have been trying to game google for years (laughs) and i tell thee and google knows it this isn't gonna end well for (laughs) y'all um so that's a conversation i've given up happening now but um that i I don't think it's primarily because of this because the other thing that is super interesting to me about this helpful content systems update is it's a global update yes which means all languages which i think is really interesting because not only do most updates from google whether they be features or whether they be um, system updates generally happen in english especially the really smart stuff where they have to train models like we know bert was trained in english and it didn't kind of just work in other languages very well so if google has kind of solved this problem or got closer to solving this problem in languages that aren't English, that's really exciting for me because I still see spam sites doing well that are just auto-translating content and sticking it back out there, even if it's not kind of great um, in other languages. So if they can identify that, it would be great. I did see a lot of feedback from the helpful content system update, the first one as well, of people being a bit like, meh? (laughs) <laughs> because it was really built up again that yeah. it was going to be big, you know, helpful because it has to be users. And even with that horrendous spam site I was running, it got like a it got like a 20% knock. Um, yeah. it, it got killed by the the following spam update in September, I think it was. Absolutely, brutally flatlined. Like, but not on Bing. <laughs> but not on
0: Bing. Bing still bringing in those spam clicks. Bing's my guy. Thanks, Bing. <laughs> comes up, big? <laughs> um,
1: so yeah, uh, possibly, I think it's, it's too quickly timed, I think, to be GPT um, kind of.
0: A reaction to that. Like, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. It, it might be have pushed out
1: earlier because of GPT and they may have done some fine tuning to yep. target that, because I think that's going to be the big problem for the next 12 months. Is people getting excited, churning out content in GPT um, and yeah, just trying to rank for it. So, um, yeah, again, like really interesting, fascinating disc- discourse around um, having language models to answer queries. We've been playing around, obviously, in the office doing all kinds of fun stuff with it. <laughs> um, you know, you say the, we, mostly you. Mostly man. me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, creativity plays an important part of that. Um, So I'm going to tell everyone, but for code (laughs) stuff, especially like it, it's whipped up code and corrected code quite quickly. And Excel formulas Uh, and stuff like that was really interesting. And uh, John Jono Alderson actually from Yoast kind of raised the point that, you know, the, the, the future in that kind of interface isn't, oh, cool. We can generate content for our website ahead of time. It's that you won't need to generate the content ahead of time. Because you can just dynamically generate it on the spot when you need the answer to that specific question. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, (laughs) which then very quickly leads to the point of, well, if that's the case, why would Google want anyone else doing that, including pre-generating it for a website when they can do it through, as we've spoken about before? systems like their uh multi-modular unified kind of search stuff the mum stuff they're working on you know if they can just generate an answer why would they want anyone else to do it and possibly you know take distract from their revenue stream so hcsu helpful content (laughs) system update um i love the purposeful pronunciation yeah i've got i'm trying to make it stick yeah you know it took a while for webmaster tools to to change to search console (laughs) in my brain um so next couple of weeks, it's going to be rolling out.
0: So that's pretty much in time for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we've seen a couple of people covering it. Uh, our our man in the in the trenches, Mister <laughs> Glenn Gabe, uh, always fantastic for getting a kind of snippet and a sneak peek at big sites that are being hit by this kind of stuff from Google updates. Has seen a fair amount of volatility and a few shifts for some sites. He's having a look at. Um. So yeah, it definitely seems to be some movement that seems to have sort of kicked in around, like you said, Mark, starting on the 5th, this kind of kicked in around the 6th or the 7th in terms of visibility drops that Glenn has seen. He's going to be monitoring that as he always does. So highly recommend you go and uh, follow Glenn on Twitter to keep up to date with his updates. And to kind of wrap us off, a little bit on the page here that was kind of updated about the helpful content side of things from Google that I thought was interesting. and. Again, trying to catch people out with a lot of people being picky about wording and stuff. The updated wording from Google on that page is any content, not just unhelpful content on sites determined to have relatively high amounts of unhelpful content overall is less likely to perform well in search, assuming there is other content elsewhere from the web that's better to display. For this reason, removing unhelpful content could help with rankings of your other content. I thought that was a very interesting kind of clarification there. So any content, even if you have just a a few bits of it in an, a much larger article, can affect the visibility of that article. And removing it can, apparently, according to Google, improve the rankings of that content and related content on your site as well. So they are really... They're bringing the stick out. out. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really again don't want to use the word penalty it's not a manual action it's not any of that kind of stuff but they are really picking it out and you can get a manual action if you push your luck but they are really kind of keeping a close eye on this and yeah you will get a, a whack on the back of the hand if you do if you are generating rubbish unhelpful content even in a sea of seemingly other good stuff if you do push your luck too much then google will seemingly catch you out and uh Reduce your visibility, reduce your rankings for that. And that's
1: not what we're here to do. Exactly. We're here to do the opposite of that. Yeah.
0: So that about wraps us up for this week. Thank you once again for joining me, Mark, talking about all the latest SEO news. Like I said, next week I will be joined by Sarah Taha. We'll be talking about Entity SEO. It's a very interesting conversation, if I do say so myself. I say it's interesting because I had a lot of questions for Sarah, and she was a very interesting guest to discuss with. So, yeah, stay tuned for that next week. We will, of course, have a couple more episodes before Christmas, which is very exciting. I know Mark and I, we've talked about a kind of end of year kind of wrap up kind of thing. I think we'll plan to do something like that just around that sort of Christmas sort of period. And then, of course, we'll be back in the new year with lots of other extra exciting guests I've already got planned as well as the new live streams we'll be working on with our friends over at Districts as well so lots more Search with Canda content coming in the next couple of weeks and in the new year as well thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week